Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. I have a question from Marizella. She says, I'm 31 years old, seven times IVF, nothing's happened. The doctors did everything. He didn't know why I can't stay pregnant. He's thinking my immune system may not accept me staying pregnant. I don't know what I need to do. I have two EMBRAP left. He's thinking about putting two embryos. My AMH is 6.8 now. Six years, nothing has happened. Natural, my husband is 30. Everything's fine with him. I have laparoscopic. I dued everything but nothing. Sounds like nobody's found anything wrong, but you've had multiple cycles of IVF without success. It is important for someone like you to go through the full gamut of those testings because I have turned up people with, for instance, as as they suggest, immune problems. And I have to say that once you've excluded blood clotting issues, once you've excluded the basic immune problems, uh, we look at something called natural killer cells and we still can't find a reason why not. I actually, in desperation, and I think I would put you in that class, would use steroids and a blood thinner on the off chance we may get success. I would also probably be suggesting doing genetic testing of the embryos because, as I said earlier, that's the commonest reason and you can be unlucky. So at 33, I think you said you were 31. So I said earlier, 50% of your embryos after they're created, even though they look like beautiful embryos, 50% of them are going to be genetically normal. If it's 50%, that's the equivalent of tossing a coin. Every embryo has a 50-50 chance of being normal. How many times do you toss a coin and get a head rather than a tail? It may be that you can do it six times and get an abnormal embryo every time. It's unlucky and highly unlikely, but it may be the reason. And it's just a matter of getting a euploid, that's the one with the right chromosomes, in the right place at the right time. So genetic testing would be one suggestion and possibly uh, what's called empirical treatment. That's giving patients something, although we don't really know whether it works or not. Generally, I speak against doing that too early in the piece, whereas I think nature really does eventually work. In a situation like yours, I certainly would be going down that track. And with two embryos left, um, would I test them? There is a risk in testing. Every embryo that we thaw, genetically test, and then go to put back, there's about a 2 or 3% chance of losing that embryo. That's not much, but you know it could be the good embryo that you're destroying by the process of freezing, thawing, and biopsying. So it's not without risk. If you'd had a collection of embryos, and I generally tell patients three or more embryos, it's worth doing. With two left and with what your history is, well, your options are to not do it, but use the steroids and the and the clexane. I probably wouldn't bother testing them. But if you went through another cycle and you had three or four embryos, I'd certainly suggest uh, going down the track of PGD. 
Uh, I have another question here, Prof, from Michelle. It says, what do you suggest to do for NKC that are three times the normal level? I'm 44 and about to use an egg donor and I've had eight rounds and no pregnancy. I hope it's not eight rounds of rounds of a donor. Obviously, someone's done NK cells and they found what we are looking for, which is an elevation of the uh, NK cells. And certainly in that scenario... I'm sufficiently convinced by anecdotal evidence, not randomized trials, that using prednisolone 20 milligrams through from day one of the transfer cycle all the way through to 10 or 12 weeks, plus using Clexane, a blood thinner, uh, after the embryo transfer is worthwhile, particularly with your number of failed cycles. And these embryos that you're or creating with, with donor eggs are very precious, and I would do everything possible to try and uh, suppress those NK cells. Next question, Prof. Do I need to lose weight before my transfer? And I'll throw in a second question. You can answer both of them. Do you recommend acupuncture during the cycle? As a co-author of the largest randomized control trial of acupuncture in the world that was conducted in New South Wales and Victoria, oh, and Queensland, and was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association two years ago, it doesn't work. It doesn't change your chances of pregnancy. From talking to patients when they've been to acupuncture, they feed back that it makes them more relaxed. And anything that makes you more relaxed, an IVF cycle is a good thing. So certainly I would not be against you having acupuncture, but you shouldn't go into it thinking it's going to improve your pregnancy rate. You know, there are some acupuncturists seeing people on such a regular basis, they're spending more money on the acupuncture than they are on IVF for really no valid statistically significant improvement. What was the first part of the question? The first part was, do I need to lose weight before my transfer? Unless you're going to put off your transfer for three or six months, there's not much point. Uh, do obese women, like women with a BMI of more than 30, have a lower chance of success with IVF? The answer is yes, that, the evidence suggests that that's the case. So losing weight is a good thing. But it potentially improves your pregnancy rates and you don't need to lose all of it and you know, be back to a to a BMI of 25, even reducing it from 30 to 28 seems to make a difference. Are there supplements you'd suggest I take during this time leading up to the transfer as well as into the pregnancy? Again, we go back to science. And if I put my hand on my heart and say, what's scientifically proven? The answer is zero. <laughs> None of these medications, supplements that have been suggested make a difference in any randomized studies that have been done. There is significant animal data, that's mice, and they're not humans, that for instance, CoQ10 may improve older eggs. So old mice given vast doses of CoQ10, uh, have eggs that are more like, they have bigger litters as they did when they were younger. But uh, nobody's been able to prove it in the human. Does it do any harm? No. Apart from on your hip pocket, you're paying money. If In theory, if, it's, if anything's going to work before a, an IVF cycle, before we collect eggs, then it has to be for probably two months. Because from the, from the small follicles, which are the ones that are potentially affected by these drugs, through to ovulation, to the mature eggs, it's a cycle of uh, 8 to 12 weeks. And so it's only medication in before an IVF cycle. Uh, that would be the case. Now, in relation to an embryo transfer, once you've collected the embryos, CoQ10 is not going to make any difference at all because it's talking about egg quality. The only supplements that are valid in going through pre-pregnancy and into pregnancy is folic acid. There's a lot of publicity and marketing around all the other supplements. You know, there are the common ones, that, you know, the, the pregnancy supplements that 
various drug companies push pretty hard, particularly in the chemist shop, are giving you folic acid, that's for sure, but at a much more expensive price for really not much benefit because the amount of, of all the other bits and pieces in those compounds are in normal food, fish, eggs, meat, vegetables. And if you have a balanced diet, you really only need folic acid. In relation to IVF and supplements, so we talked then about CoQ10, testosterone, there may be some benefit in, again, uh, eight to 12 weeks of testosterone support. Some people use DHEA, but really testosterone, I've now convinced is the right thing to take because DHEA has to be converted to testosterone anyway. There is a big randomized controlled trial at the moment, which is two thirds finished in Europe, which will tell us the answer to that question as to whether pregnancy rates really are better. Beyond that, nothing. Melatonin does not work, proved by a randomized study in Melbourne from Monash. Growth hormone. Small studies might suggest it makes a difference, but at $1,200 to $1,500 in a cycle, that small difference is really hard to believe is worthwhile. If it's true, no big studies have ever been done. So supplements, not a great fan. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.